0: 5. Be avoided, as, in frying, some form of fat has to be used to keep the food from burning. This fat is apt to form a coating over the surface and, if used in excessive amounts, that too low a temperature, may soak deeply into the food, thus coating over every particle of it with a thick, waterproof film, which prevents the juices of the stomach and the upper part of the bowel from attacking and digesting it. This undesirable result, however, can be entirely avoided by having both the pan and the melted fat which it contains very hot before the steak chop potatoes or buckwheat cakes are put into the pan when this is done the heat of the pan and of the boiling fat instantly sears over the whole surface of the piece of food and forms a coating which prevents the further penetration of the fat quick frying island as a rule a safe and wholesome form of cooking slow frying which means stewing in melted grease for 20 or 30 minutes, is one of the most effective ways ever invented of spoiling good food and ruining digestion. Why everyone should learn how to cook. Every boy and every girl ought to know how to cook. Cooking is a most interesting art, and a knowledge of it is a valuable part of a good education. Everybody would find such a knowledge exceedingly full at some time in his life, and most of us, all our lives long, as a life-saving accomplishment. It is much more valuable than knowing how to swim. Every schoolhouse of more than five rooms should have a kitchen and a lunch room as part of its equipment, and classes should take turns in cooking and serving lunches for the rest of the children. Footnotes, for meats a fourth method may be used broiling, which for flavor and wholesomeness is superior to any other, but requires a special and rather expensive type of clear, hot fire and a high degree of skill. Whenever lunches are brought by children, or the school lunch is a problem, If possible equip a spare room with a gas or a coal stove, sink, tables, chairs, necessary dishes, etc. And let classes under direction of teacher take turns in purchasing food supplies for lunch, cooking and serving lunch, planning dietaries with reference to balanced nutrition, digestibility, and cheapness, washing pots, pans, and dishes, cleaning kitchen, protecting and storing foods, finding risks of spoiling, contamination, infection fly visiting, and practicing other forms of kitchen hygiene. Chapter IX Our Drink Filling the Boiler of the Body Engine The Need of Water in the Body Engine If you have ever taken a long railway journey, you will remember that, about every two or three hours, you would stop longer than usual at some station, or switch, for the engine to take in water, no matter how briskly the fire burns in the furnace, or how much good coal you may shovel into it, if there be no water in the boiler above it to expand and make steam. The engine will do no work, and an abundant supply of water is just as necessary in our own bodies, although not used in just the same way as in the engine. The singular thing about water, both in a locomotive and in our own bodies is that, absolutely necessary as it island it is neither burned up nor broken down in any way, in making the machine go, so that it gives off no energy, as our food does, but simply changes its form slightly, exactly the same amount of water, to the ounce or even the teaspoonful, that is poured into the boiler of an engine, is given off through its funnel and escape pipes in the form of steam, and precisely the same amount of water which we pour into our stomachs will reappear on the surface of the body again in the form of the vapor from the lungs, the perspiration from the skin, and the water from the kidneys, it goes completely through the engine, or the body, enables the one to work and the other to live, and yet comes out unchanged. Just how water works in the engine we know the heat from the furnace changes it into steam, which means that heat expands it, or makes it fill more space. The swelling pushes forward the cylinder that starts the wheels of the engine. The next puff gives them another whirl, and in a few minutes the big locomotive is puffing steadily down the track. Water is necessary to life. Just how water works in the body we do not know, as most of it is not even turned into steam or vapor. But this much we do know that life cannot exist in the absence of water, odd as it may seem to us at first sight. 95. Yes. 99% of our body cells are water animals, and can live and grow only when literally swimming in water. The scaly cells on the surface of our skin, our hair, and the tips of our nails are the only parts of us that live in air. In fact, over five-sixths of the weight and bulk of our bodies is made up of water. Someone has quaintly, but truthfully, Describe the human body as composed of a few pounds of charcoal, a bushel of air, half a peck of lime, and a couple of handfuls of salt dissolved in four buckets of water. The reason why nearly all our foods, as we have seen, contain such large amounts of water is that they, also, are the results of life the tissues and products of plants or animals. Water frees the body from waste substances. Water in the body, then, is necessary to life itself. But another most important use is to wash out all the waste substances from the different organs and tissues and carry them to the liver, the kidneys, the lungs, and the skin, where they can be burned up and got rid of. We must keep our bodies well flushed with water, just as we should keep a free current of water flowing through our drain pipes and sewers. It keeps the body from getting overheated, in summertime, or in hot climates the year round. An abundant supply of water is of great importance in keeping the body from becoming overheated, by pouring itself out on the skin in the form of perspiration, and cooling us by evaporation, as we shall see in the chapter on the skin, the meaning of thirst. None of us who has ever been a mile or more away from a well, or brook, on a hot summer's day needs to be told how necessary water island for comfort as well as for health, the appetite which we have developed for it thirst as we call it is the most tremendous and powerful craving that we can feel, and the results of water starvation are as serious and as quick in coming as is the keenness of our thirst, men in fairly good condition, if they are at rest, and not exposed to hardship, and have plenty of water to drink, can survive without food for from two to four weeks, but if deprived of water, they will perish in agony in from two to three days, we should drink three pints of water a day, although all our foods, either as we find them in the state of nature, or as they come on the table cooked and prepared for eating, contain large quantities of water, this is not enough for the needs of the body, to keep in good health we must also drink in some form about three pints, or six glassfuls, of water in the course of the day, part of this goes, as you will remember page 16, to dissolve the food so that it can be readily absorbed by our body cells in the process of digestion, where our drinking water comes from water contained in our food is pure, seeing that five-sixths of our food is water, it is clearly of the greatest importance that that water should be pure, that part of our water supply which we get in and with our foods is fortunately, for the most part, almost perfectly pure, having been specially filtered by the plants or animals which originally drank it, or having been boiled in the process of cooking, water is always in motion, the part of our water supply which we take directly, in the form of drinking water, island, however, and fortunately anything but free from danger of impurities. The greatest difficulty with water is that it will not stay put, it is continually on the move. The same perpetual circulation, with change of form, but without loss of substance, which is taking place in the engine and in our bodies, is taking place in the world around us. The water from the ocean, the lakes, and the rivers is continually evaporating under the heat of the sun and rising in the form of vapor or invisible steam, into the air, there it becomes cooler, and forms the clouds, and when these are cooled a little more, the vapor changes into drops of water and pours down as rain, or, if the droplets freeze, as snow or hail, the rain falls upon the leaves of the trees and the spears of the grass, or the thirsty plowed ground, soaks down into the soil and, seeps, or drains gradually into the streams and rivers, and down these into the lakes and oceans, to be again pumped up by the sun, All we can do is to catch what we need of it, on the run, somewhere in the earthy part of its circuit, why our drinking water is likely to be impure, every drop of water that we drink or use, fell somewhere on the surface of the earth, in the form of rain or snow, and if we wish to find out whether it is pure and safe, we must trace its course through the soil, or the streams, from the point where it fell, our drinking water has literally washed, all outdoors, before it reaches us and what it may have picked up in that washing makes the possibilities of its danger, as it falls from the skies, it is perfectly pure except in large cities or manufacturing centers, where rainwater contains small amounts of soot, smoke acids, and dust, but even these are in such small amounts as to be practically harmless, but the moment it reaches the ground, it begins to soak up something out of everything that it touches, and here our dangers begin, risks from leaf mold, practically the whole surface of the earth is covered with some form of vegetation grass trees or other green plants these dying down and decaying year after year form a layer of vegetable mold such as you can readily scratch up on the surface of the ground in a forest or old meadow this is known as leaf mold or humus as the water soaks through this mold it becomes loaded with decaying vegetable matter which it carries with it down into the soil most of this fortunately is comparatively harmless to the human digestion, but some of this vegetable matter, such as we find in the water from bogs or swamps, or even heavy forests, will sometimes upset the digestion, hence, the natural dislike that we have for water with a marshy, or, weedy, taste, nature's filter bed, when, however, the speedy water soaks on down through the grass, roots, and leaf mold, into the soil. It comes in contact with nature's great filter bed the second place in the circuit where the water is again made perfectly pure. This filter bed consists of a layer of more or less spongy, porous soil, or earth, swarming with millions of tiny vegetable germs known as bacteria. These eagerly pick out all the decaying vegetable substances of the water and feed upon them, changing them into harmless carbon dioxide water, and small amounts of ammonia. Not only will this filter bed, or spongy mat of bacteria, burn up and remove all traces of vegetable decay. But if the rain happens to have soaked through the decaying body of a bird or animal or insect, the bacteria will just as eagerly feed upon these animal substances and change them into harmless gases and salts. By the time the rainwater has reached the deeper layers of the soil, it is again perfectly pure and has also, in seeping through the soil, picked up certain mineral salts such as calcium, sodium, and magnesium which are of use in the body, so that in an open or thinly settled country, the water in streams, rivers, and lakes is usually fairly pure and quite wholesome, that is why, in ancient times, the great majority of villages and towns and camps were situated on the bank of some stream, where a supply of water could easily be obtained, causes and dangers of polluted water wells the oldest method of supplying water, it was long ago discovered that, by digging pits or holes in the ground, the rainwater in its steady flow toward the streams and lakes, could be caught or trapped, and that if the pit were made deep enough, a sufficient amount would accumulate during the winter or spring to last well on into the summer, unless the season were unusually dry. These pits, or water traps, are our familiar wells, from which most of our water supply, except in the large cities, is still taken. These wells were naturally dug, or sunk, as near as might be to the house so as to shorten the distance that the water had to be carried, and from this arose their chief and greatest source of danger, the danger to wells from household waste. Every house has, like our bodies, a certain amount of waste, which must be got rid of. Some of this material can, of course, be fed to pigs and chickens, and in that way disposed of, but the simplest and easiest thing to do with the watery parts of the household waste is to take them to the back door and throw them out on the ground, while table scraps and other garbage are thrown into the long grass, or bushes a method which is still, unfortunately, pursued in a great many houses in the country and the suburbs of towns, if the area over which they are thrown is large enough, and particularly if the soil is porous and well covered with vegetation, nature's filter bed the soil, the bacteria, and the roots of the grass and other plants combined will purify a surprising amount of waste, but there is always the danger, particularly in the wet weather of spring and of late fall, that the soil will become charged with more of these waste matters than the bacteria can destroy, and that these waste poisons will be washed down in the rainwater right into the pit, or trap, which has been dug for it. the well. Illustration, an example of good farm drainage here The farmhouse is set above the barn, pens, and cattle yard, and at some distance from them, the drainage from these is into the lower fields, so that a well driven into the high ground not far from the house is presumably safe. The danger from outbuildings, this danger is further increased by the fact that for the same reason the vital need of plenty of water for all living creatures the hen coop, the pig pen, the cow stable, and the horse barn are all likely to be built clustering around the same well. If the fertilizer from these places island as it should be in all intelligent farming, protected from the rain so as not to have all its strength washed out of it, and removed and spread on the soil at frequent intervals. The well may even yet escape contamination, but the chances are very strongly against it. If you will figure out that a well drains the surface soil in every direction for a distance from 10 to 30 times its own depth, and that the average well is about 25 feet deep, you can readily see what a risk of contaminating the well is caused by every barn, outhouse, or pen within from 60 to 150 yards from its mouth. Every well from which drinking water is taken should be at least fifty, and better, hundred and fifty, yards away from any stable, outhouse, or barn, or set well hill from it, so that all drainage runs away from its basin. This, of course, is possible only in the country, or in villages or small towns, where houses have plenty of ground about them. Consequently, The health laws of most cities and states forbid the use of shallow wells for drinking purposes in cities of over 10.000 population, causes which produce pure well water. Occasionally a well will be driven through a layer of rock or hard waterproof clay, before the water-bearing layer of soil, or sand, is struck, so that its water will be drawn, not from the rain that falls on the surface of the ground immediately about it but from that which has fallen somewhere at a considerable distance and filtered down through the soil, this water, on account of the many, many layers of soil through which it has filtered, and the long distance it has come, is usually fairly pure, so far as animal or vegetable impurities are concerned, though it is apt to have become too strong in certain salty and mineral substances, which give it a taste of salt, or iron, or sulfur, if, however, it is free from these salty substances. It makes a very pure and wholesome drinking water, and if the upper part of the well shaft be lined with bricks and cement, so that the surface water cannot leak into it, it may be used with safety for drinking purposes even in the heart of a city. Illustration, the danger spot on the farm the milk inspector on visiting this dairy farm found that the well was receiving the drainage of both house and privy. The well water was used for drinking and for washing the milk pail seen behind the fence. The greatest single danger to a well water The greatest single danger to the purity of well water is the privy vault. This is doubly dangerous, first, because it is dug below the level at which the bacteria in the soil are most abundant and active, so that they cannot attack and break up its contents, and the impurities, therefore, are gradually washed down by the rain water into the soil, and changed, and seep directly into the well. The other reason is that its contents may contain the germs of serious diseases. Particularly typhoid fever and other bowel troubles. These germs and their poisons would usually be destroyed by the bacteria of the soil. If not poured out into large quantities, but in the privy vault they escape their attack. And so are carried on with the slow leakage of water into the well, then those who use that water are very liable to have typhoid fever and other serious diseases. Early methods of prevention. On account of these filth dangers. It began. A century or so ago. To be the custom in cleanly and thoughtful households to provide, first, ditches, and then, lines of pipes, made out of hollow wood or baked clay, and later of iron, called drains, through which all the watery parts of household wastes could be carried away and poured out at some distance from the house, then toilets, or flush closets, were built, and this kind of waste was carried completely away from the house, and beyond danger of contaminating the wells. How streams were contaminated. For a time this seemed to end the danger, as the waste was soaked up by the soil, and eaten by its hungry bacteria and drunk up again by the roots of plants. But when ten or a dozen houses began to combine and run their drain pipes together into a large drain called a sewer, then this could not open upon the surface of the ground, but had to be run into some stream, or brook, in order to be carried away, as cities and towns, which had been obliged to give up their wells, were beginning to collect the water from these same brooks and streams in reservoirs and deliver it in pipes to all their houses, it can be easily seen that we had simply exchanged one danger for another, the loss of life from typhoid fever, for a time, indeed, it looked as if the new danger were the greater of the two, because, when the typhoid germs were washed into a well, they poisoned or infected only one, or at most two or three, families who used the water from that well, but when they were carried into a stream which was dammed to form a reservoir to supply a town with water, then the whole population of the town might become infected. A great many epidemics of typhoid fever occurred in just this way, before people realized how great this danger was, simply from the pouring of the wastes from one or two typhoid fever cases into the streams leading into the water reservoir used by a town. 500, 1,000, or even 3 or 4,000 cases of typhoid have developed within a few weeks with from 100 to 500 deaths illustration typhoid epidemic in the mohawk hudson valley 1891 92 in 1891 92 typhoid fever broke out in schenectady on the mohawk river following this cohoes and west troy which drew their water supply from the mohawk below schenectady and albany which drew its supply from the hudson below the mouth of the mohawk suffered from typhoid epidemics while waterford and troy which drew their supplies from the Hudson above the mouth of the Mohawk, and the river towns that, like Lansingburg, drew from other sources, entirely escaped the infection. In fact, even today, when these dangers are better understood, and while most of our big cities are getting fairly clear of typhoid, so ignorant and careless are the smaller towns, villages, and private houses all over the United States that over 35.000 deaths from typhoid fever occur every year in a country which prides itself upon its cleanliness and its intelligence. This means, too, that there are at least half a million people sick of the disease, and in bed or utterly prevented from working, for from 5 to 15 weeks each, all of which frightful loss of human life and human labor, to say nothing of the grief, bereavement, and anxiety of the 2 million or more families and relatives of these typhoid victims is due to eating dirt and drinking filth. Dirt is surely the most expensive thing their island instead of the cheapest. Methods of obtaining pure water wise planning and spending of money is necessary. If our city wells are defiled by manure heaps and vault privies, and our streams by sewage, where are we to turn for pure water? All that is required is foresight and a little intelligent planning and wise spending of money. Of course the community must take hold of the problem, through a board of health, or health officer appointed for the purpose, and this is why questions of health are coming to play such an important part in legislation, and even in politics, no matter how fast a city is growing or how much money its inhabitants are making, if it has an impure water supply or a bad sewage system, there will be disease and death, suffering and unhappiness among its people, which no amount of money can make up for, cleanliness is not only next to godliness, But one of the most full forms of it, and a city can afford to spend money liberally to secure it. In fact, it is the best investment a city can make. Partesian and deep wells, the earliest, and still the most eagerly sought-for-source of pure water supply is springs or deep wells, such as we have referred to. Both of these are fed by rainwater which has fallen somewhere upon the surface of the earth, as the layers of earth or rock, of which the crust of the earth is made up, do not run level or horizontal but are tilted and dipped in all directions. This rainwater soaks down until it reaches one of these sloping layers that is so hard, or tough, as to be waterproof, and then runs along over its surface in a sort of underground stream. If anywhere in the course of the stream a very deep well shaft is driven right down through the soil until it strikes the surface of the sloping layer of rock, then the water will rise in this shaft to the level of the highest point from which it is running. Illustration. ARDSIA and Well Borings The sketch shows a wide section from northern Illinois to central Wisconsin, in which the cities have rejected the water supplies afforded by the rivers, choosing instead to bore down almost to hard rock to ensure the purity of the supply. If this highest point of the waterproof layer be many miles away, up in the hills above the surface of the ground where the well is dug, then the water will rise to the surface and sometimes even spout 20, 30, or 50 feet above it. This forms what is known as a gushing, or artesian, well from Artois, a province in France, in which such wells were first commonly used and furnishes a very pure and valuable source of water supply, if it rises only 20, 30, or 50 feet in the well shaft, but keeps flowing in at a sufficient rate, then we get what is known as a living, or permanent well, and this also is a very valuable and pure source of water supply, springs springs are formed on the same plan as the deep well, but with the difference that the waterproof layer on top of which the water is running either crops out on the surface again, lower down the mountain, or folds upon itself and comes up again to the surface some distance away from the mountain chain, out on the level, this is why springs are usually found in or near mountainous or hilly regions, if the water of a spring has gone deep enough into, or far enough through, the layers of the earth, it may, like water of some of the artesian wells, contain certain salts and minerals, particularly soda, sulfur, and iron. Such springs are often highly valued as mineral water, healing springs, or baths, partly because of these salts, partly on account of their peculiar taste. Most of the virtues ascribed to mineral waters or springs are due, however, to their pure water, and its cleansing effects internally and externally when freely used, Springs are among the most highly prized sources of water supply, because they have gone underground sufficiently deep to become well filtered and cooled to a low temperature, and usually not far enough to become too heavily loaded with salts or minerals like the waters of the deep wells. It must, however, be remembered that they also come from rainwater, and that in hilly or broken regions the source of that rainwater may be the surface of the ground only a few hundred yards up the hill or mountain, and impurities there may affect it much of the delightful sparkle of spring water is due, as in the case of the popular soda water, to the presence of carbon dioxide, only in spring water it is produced by the decomposition of vegetable matter in it, as springs usually break out in a hollow or at the foot of a hill, unless carefully closed in they are quite liable to contamination from rainwater from the surrounding surface of the ground, where springs of a sufficient size can be reached, or a sufficiently, lift, series of deep wells can be bored, These furnish a safe source of water supply for cities, but of course not more than one city in five or ten is so favored. Mountain Reservoirs. Two other methods of securing a water supply are now generally adopted. One is to pick out some stream up in the hills or mountains, within fifteen miles or so of the city, and put in a dam, thus making a reservoir, or to enlarge some lake which already exists there, at the same time, the entire valley, or slope of the mountain which the stream or lake drains of its surface water, is bought up by the government, or turned into a forest reserve, so that no houses can be built or settlement of any kind permitted upon it, it can still be used for lumber supply, for pastures, and, within reasonable limits, for a great public hunting and fishing reserve and camping resort, almost every intelligent and far-sighted town, which has not springs or deep wells, is looking toward the acquirement of some such area as this for its source of pure water. Many great cities go from 30 to 50 miles, and some even 150 miles, in order to reach such a source, carrying the water into the city in a huge water pipe, or aqueduct. These cities find that the millions of dollars saved by the prevention of death and disease amount to many times the cost of such a system. While the water rents gladly paid by both private houses and manufacturing establishments give good interest on the investment, any town can afford to go a mile for every thousand of its population for such a source of water supply as this, and secure, gratis, a valuable forest preserve, public park, and beauty spot, filtration, the other method, which has to be adopted by cities situated on level plains, or at the mouths of great rivers, is to take the water of some lake or river, as far out in the former, or as high up the latter, as possible, and purify it by filtration. This can be done at a moderate expense by preparing great settling basins and filter beds. The first are great pools or small lakes, into which the water is run and held until most of the mud and coarser dirt has settled or sunk. Then this clear water above the sediment is run onto great beds, first of gravel, then of coarse sand, then of fine sand, and if these beds are large enough, and frequently changed and cleaned, so that they do not become clogged, and the process is carried out slowly. The water, when it comes through the last bed, is pure enough to drink safely. One of these sources of a safe and wholesome water supply the deep flowing well, or spring, the water shut up in the mountains in its lake or reservoir, or the slow filter bed should be used by every intelligent and progressive town of more than a thousand inhabitants, sewage and its disposal. At the same time, while seeking a source of water supply far removed from any possibility of contagion, we must not neglect the other end of the problem, the protecting of our rivers and lakes from pollution so far as possible, for the water from these must necessarily be used by thousands of people along their banks, either directly, or in the form of shallow wells, sunk not far from the water's edge. Moreover, so foul are many of our rivers and streams becoming in thickly settled regions that fish can no longer live in them and it is hardly safe to bathe in them. Fortunately, however, a great deal of the worst contamination can be prevented by using modern methods of disposing of sewage, such as filter beds and sewage farms. All of these methods use the bacteria of the soil, or crops growing in it, to eat up the waste and thus purify the sewage. Home methods of purifying water boiling, where the water that you are obliged to drink is not known to be pure then it can be made quite safe for drinking purposes by the simple process of boiling it for about 10 or 15 minutes. But this, except in traveling or in emergencies, is a lazy, slipshod substitute for pure water, and extremely unsatisfactory as well, for the boiling drives off all its air and other gases, and throws down most of the salts, so that boiled water has a flat, insipid taste. These salts, although sometimes regarded as impurities, are not such in any true sense, for the lime and soda especially are of considerable value in the body, so that boiled or sterilized water is neither a pleasant nor a wholesome permanent drink, instead of boiling the water, get to a work to protect your own well from filth of all sorts, if you drink well water, or, if not, to help the board of health to agitate, and keep on agitating, until something is done to compel your selectmen or city council to secure a pure supply, illustration the domestic filter in use unless the sand and charcoal in the glass bulb is very frequently cleaned. It serves nearly as a catch-all for impurities, through which the water must flow. Domestic filters. Much the same must be said of private or domestic filters. These are, at best, temporary substitutes, and should not be depended upon for permanent use. Many of them are made to sell rather than to purify, and will remove only the larger or